As I mentioned earlier, I'll be reading and preaching from 1 John again. So if you want to turn to that, I'll be reading the, uh, the rest of chapter 1. So verses 5 through 10. And before I read our passage this evening, let's just review briefly the context of this letter. John is almost certainly advanced in years when he writes the letter. You'll notice if you read through all of 1 John, one of his favorite expressions for his recipients of the letter is little children. This makes sense if John is writing late in the first century. Additionally, he's countering a late first century heresy that was asserting Jesus only appeared to have a human body, but there was no real incarnation. He did not really come in the flesh. John labels those teachers and that teaching as antichrist. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, as John addresses that specifically. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. This anti-Christian doctrine didn't necessarily deny the wonderful things that Jesus did, but it denied who he is. And that's one of the keys to understanding a great deal of the heresy that the church has had to battle over the centuries. Don't deny Jesus, just change him somehow. Think of just two heresies that we know pretty well, at least I think we know pretty well in our time, and how they've tried to change Jesus and how he has revealed himself. The Jehovah's Witnesses will will say that Jesus is a God, that Jesus is the Son of God, but that Jesus is not really God, not really God Almighty. They they pull up where that's concerned. Liberalism in the early 20th century didn't deny the humanity of Jesus, but it denied those things that the natural world can't produce, like miracles and a virgin birth, and a resurrected body from the dead. And once the false teachers of John's day altered Jesus as he had been revealed, which was a denial of the gospel, they went on to deny his teaching. And so John says in 1 John 2.26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. This morning, we looked at John's bold opening and how he proclaimed Jesus as the eternal life-giving word of God who came in the flesh in order to restore our fellowship with one another, but especially to reconcile us to God and to restore our fellowship with him. And now, in essence, he's going to talk about that fellowship. The fellowship Christians have with one another and the fellowship we enjoy with our Heavenly Father. So let me pick up our reading now with the fifth verse and read to the end of the chapter. 1 John 
first chapter, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the passage tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness are really good in metaphors, excuse me, very good metaphors to talk about things that are incompatible. It's clearly one of John's favorite images to do that. God is light. Satan is the prince of darkness. Light speaks of purity and holiness and righteousness. Darkness suggests unrighteousness or at least ignorance. Light exposes Darkness hides. We could go on, but the point is, God is light, and in order to have fellowship with him, we need to walk in the light. Our lives need to be conformed more and more to what we see in him. Listen to Calvin's comment on this passage. The sum of what is said is that since there is no union between light and darkness, there is a separation between us and God as long as we walk in darkness, and that the fellowship which he mentions cannot exist except we also become pure and holy. Now, I want to stop for a moment and talk about what I just said. And I'm going to use Calvin's words because he's always very precise. We cannot be in fellowship with God unless we become pure and holy. Unless we're becoming pure and holy. That's one of John's main, main points in these verses. John is not talking about a works righteousness scheme here. He has already alluded to the foundation of our salvation, which has nothing to do with our purity and holiness. Our salvation is based on the purity and the holiness of our Lord Jesus and him alone. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 33, what is justification, says this. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's the basis of our salvation. But now John is making reference to our sanctification, which is a process of becoming pure and holy. Listen to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 35, about uh, what is sanctification. 
Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Sanctification is a, is a, a work of God's free grace. God doesn't just justify us and leave us in the sorry state that he found us. I'm sure for some of us it was sorrier than others. He gives us his spirit. He adopts us into his family. He gives us all these means of grace to grow. He constantly puts before us his son Jesus, partly so that we can look on him and think, that's what I'm being made into. That's what I'm becoming. Paul says very much the same thing in Titus. Without the image of light and darkness, he just plainly states how Christians are to live. Listen as I read Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now let's pause for a moment right here, too. When you think about walking in the light versus walking in darkness, it's not exactly a black and white issue. Walking in the light does not mean we've achieved perfection or that we no longer sin, which is one of the things John specifically is speaking against in the passage we're looking at. And we do see that very clearly in verses 7 and 8. Um, right after John has stated very strongly that God is light and there's no darkness in him, and that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, he then modifies his message to accommodate our weaknesses. Listen to verses 7 and 8 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This then takes into account the reality that the more closely you examine yourself, the more honestly you examine yourself, the more you walk in the light of God's revelation, the more you become aware of the impurity in your life, the mixture of good and bad motives in your life. We love others, but sometimes selectively and always imperfectly. Even our very best deeds, our acts of piety, our prayers, they all need to be washed as John says, in the blood of Jesus. Look with me at your bulletin. I've got three quotes from Calvin. I, I couldn't decide which one, so I put them all in there. <laughs> um, that I think beautifully capture this idea that God's children are still sinners in need of perpetual grace. First one, having taught what is the bond of our union with God, 
he now shows what fruit flows from it, even that our sins are freely remitted. Number two, this passage shows that the gratuitous pardon of our sins is given us not only once, but that it is a benefit perpetually residing in the church and daily offered to the faithful. And finally, in the meantime, by new sins, we continually separate ourselves as far as we can from the grace of God. Thus it is that all the saints have need of the daily forgiveness of sins, for this alone keeps us in the family of God. One um, <clears throat> commentary I read observed that Psalm 32 was Augustine's favorite psalm. Apparently, he had it inscribed on his wall next to his bed before he died so that he could better meditate upon it. He particularly liked it because, as he said, the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. Listen, into the, listen to the opening verses of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I particularly love that line, in whose spirit is no deceit. When it comes to our sin, we can come clean with God always, and with one another as needed. Let me say that one more time. When it comes to our sin, we can come clean with God always, and with one another as needed. I think most of us have a natural impulse to want to appear better than we are, and that may in part be because we don't always extend grace to one another as we should. But that is never the case with our Heavenly Father. He extends grace faithfully. He extends his grace according to his justice. Listen again as I read verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to forgive us our sins because they've already been paid for on the cross. And God is just to forgive us our sins because his divine justice, which he cannot deny, has been satisfied by the finished work of his son Jesus on the cross. We need to run to the light. What I, that message is the light. Run to that. I was uh, thinking about an illustration that helped me anyway sort of think this through. And um, I, uh, I came up with this um, 
time, a long time ago, I was training for the, um, for the uh, Pikes Peak Ascent. And I was, I'm going to guess I was probably in my early 40s. And part of my training um, routine was to run up Bar Trail for long, as much time as I had. I'd run up sometimes an hour, sometimes 45 minutes. Uh, occasionally, I would run up to Bar Camp and back. And uh, I would try to do this once or twice a week when I was training. By the way, uh, I never did run the Pikes Peak Ascent. I, I ended up getting shin splints. It was self-diagnosed, but um, I, I got shin, shin splints. My, 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 leg, my knees, my shins were killing me. So I stopped. I thought, oh, I must be overtraining. Anyway, um, but, uh, but the point is I was going to Bar Trail a couple times a week. And this one morning I got up, and I would leave really early, like 5 or 5.30 in the morning. Some, as summer's approaching, the, it gets light. And um, I got to, and it was just, as I'm driving over there, there's this thick fog. It's, it, the, the city is just socked in with clouds. And I had to turn my lights on to, to, get, to see. Uh, but this is back when you could drive right up to the trailhead at uh, our camp. There was usually three or four spaces still available, just the trailhead's right there, park your car and start running. And um, the whole time over, I could barely see, and I thought, that's going to be an interesting run, you know. I'm not going to be able to see what's ahead of me, but I knew the trail pretty well, so I wasn't worried about that. And I uh, got out of my car, uh, started running, and you know, you start out at about 6,500 feet right there at the trailhead, and you climb to over 8,000 feet pretty quick on Bar Trail. Uh, that first section's pretty steep. So I'm running, and uh, after about 40 minutes, I start noticing that um, it's, it, the, the, the clouds are kind of dissipating. I mean, it had been dark prior to that, and now suddenly I can kind of see a little further on the trail, and I can kind of see ahead and see the turns up ahead and stuff. And so I'm kind of getting excited, like, this is kind of neat. I don't know. I must be climbing out of this. And I kept running, and... Um, before long, I had, I had run up out of the fog, and uh, I kept running for just a little bit, and I got myself a, a really beautiful vantage point, point. and then I looked down on the city, and it felt like that feeling when you climb up over the clouds in an airplane, and you get up above the clouds, and you're just looking down on the clouds below you, and that's exactly what it was like. I couldn't see Colorado Springs at all. I just saw these beautiful white puffy clouds, and it had been dark as I started running, and now it was just beautiful, bright, looking up at the beautiful mountain, all sunny and just incredible. And I remember um, it was exhilarating. It was unbelievable. And it almost like, I wish I was running with someone I could talk to about this. This is amazing. And I even had this feeling as I went down that I had a little secret that I wanted to tell somebody, uh, you have no idea, just keep running. And um, that just struck me that that's kind of what it's like when Christians run into the light. It's pure, it's beautiful, it's joyful, and finally, it's where fellowship with our God is found. So brothers and sisters, let's walk in the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your goodness to us this day, the number of blessings and the richness of worship, morning and evening, the chance to uh, come to the Lord's table. Father, I thank you for this chance now to uh, gather again and hear from your word briefly. 
Father, I thank you for the way you uh, take care of us, you provide for us, you give us your means of grace week in and week out so that we can go out into the world and serve you and serve our neighbor. And Father, I do pray for your blessing on the rest of this time of worship, the rest of our evening, and as we start to move into our new week. I pray for your blessing on all of that. Thanking you again for this time, and I do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.